I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, it's Judy Gould and this is Working Scientist, a Nature Careers podcast. Welcome to this series on the podcast all about leadership. Each episode in this series explores leadership from a different perspective. We'll hear from academic leaders, research institute leaders, industry leaders, young leaders, as well as someone who studies leadership and what it really means. I try to find out what these people think leadership is, how they got to these positions that they're in, where they learnt their skills, and what they think of the scientific leadership we have today. Fiona Watt is a British stem cell biologist. Her work has focused on cell regeneration, and throughout her career, Fiona has held many positions of leadership, including being appointed as the first female executive chair of the Medical Research Council in the UK in 2018. Now, for the benefit of our non-UK listeners, the Medical Research Council, or MRC as it is locally known, is the national funding body here that funds scientific research at the forefront of medical science. Now, in early 2022, Fiona became the director of EMBO, the European Molecular Biology Organization. And here, for the benefit of our non-European listeners, EMBO is a not-for-profit organization based in Heidelberg, Germany. And it is devoted to excellence in the life sciences. Funded by memberships from around 30 countries, it supports research, it publishes journals, it awards postdoctoral fellowships to encourage mobility, and it offers training events, courses and workshops to support its researchers. In this conversation, Fiona and I talk about some of her different leadership roles, and she shares with us a little bit about what it's like being the director of EMBO. We also talk about where and how she learned her leadership skills, what she thinks bad leadership looks like, and some of the trust issues that may crop up between the science leaders. Clearly from her history and background, we know that Fiona is an established leader, but I wanted to know, how did she learn her leadership skills? Say when you were an early career researcher, did you envisage yourself as the leader of an organisation like EMBO? Uh, and if not, like how did that happen? How did you get to where you are today? Well, the answer is no. Um, and I really, I think some people take a job because of the status and some people take a job because of what they want to do. That's probably true in all walks of life. But throughout my career, I've been 
driven by the science. But I've always been interested in how science is done. And after quite a few years working in a research institute, I became very interested in how you could make conditions better for younger scientists. And so that took me more into leadership roles within academia. And I moved to King's College London 10 years ago. And one of the real attractions of that job was having the ability to design space for research to be conducted, uh, really along the principles that where people sit, where offices are, where core facilities are, where the benches are, if you pay attention to the space, you can make an environment which is more or less collegial, more a more or less happy place for people to work. So that so that was part of your role at, at King's College, did you say? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was quite hard work. Um, you know, speaking weekly to architects and all the adventures we had there, but. Um, I've stepped down from the centre that I set up, but when I think about what has made it a happy place to work, for me, part of the answer is the physical space. And I don't think scientists always think about that. They might think about a nice atrium, you know, the the way it looks from the outside. But I've worked in places where interactions between different groups were better or worse. And I think the physical space is important. How do you define leadership? (laughs) I'm glad you asked that question because (laughs) I truly think a leader is someone who takes ownership of a particular topic in science or a particular activity. And if they're a thought leader, then they will influence others by what they write and how they speak. If it's an organisation like EMBO, it's important to be the public face of the organisation as well. But I think you can be a science leader without ever being head of a research group. You can be a pioneer in a field or a way of thinking. And it might not even become apparent for years that you were a leader. So I think you can be a leader without ever line managing anybody. Where did you learn your leadership skills? Like, was it just learning by doing or did you take courses or did you have a mentor or did you see people who were doing a fantastic job and thought, yes, I want to lead like they do? You know, when I was starting out, there were very few women scientists. And partly because of what I work on, most of the support that I had came from more senior women scientists who were based in the US. And it was really, it meant a lot to me that I wouldn't see these women very often, but understanding what they had gone through and how they helped one another, it was a big support for me. Um, But but I, I felt that I had no training. And so I think because of, of that, experience I felt very much on my own in control of my own career this is what I want to do now and how am I going to do it so the skills that you have gained over time is is more through self-learning yeah I think so and I, I know a lot of people so you you can sort of you know if you if you're observing people 
you, you can pick up things that you like or you would do it differently. But I would say it's, it's, it's completely different now. And one of the things that EMBO has run for many years is a lab management course, which is targeted at scientists just at the cusp of independence because you get offered a job in science because you're a great scientist, not because you're a great leader. And so helping those uh, young people and everybody who's been through my lab and done that course is better than me because you know they're in a trusting environment they learn about the common challenges you face early on and of course they stay in touch with one another so it's like an instant helpline when things things get tough so I don't know if you've done any of those like leadership style you know questionnaires or anything like that throughout your career but do you do you have a leadership style does it have a particular name or you know how do you how do you think of yourself as a leader I've done leadership courses. I've not undergone psychiatric tests to decide what kind of a leader I am. But I think I like to consult a lot before making a decision about something that needs to be done. But then at some point, you know, having achieved or not achieved consensus, it's important to move forward with that. I think it's important that people are not frightened to tell you when you're wrong. And I don't think, I think in a science context, you have to deeply respect the aspirations of the younger scientists in your care. So having regular conversations about where they're going, what they want to achieve is very important. And I think perhaps historically scientists, if you decided not to stay in academia, that would be like, well, you're, you're out of the game, but it's so different now. and everyone who is trained as a scientist has a different part to play and, and keeping tabs on that, making connections um, between the different sectors, I think makes science stronger. So you, you've talked a little bit about, about your leadership style and what you think sort of makes good leadership. What do you think bad leadership looks like? Well, I don't like it when I feel that somebody in a leadership role is just in it for themselves for the kudos the glory and is not doing anything for the organization I think it's important that people are able to express conflicting opinions without it being personal and, and one of my mantras in the lab is there's nothing wrong with being wrong you know you can you know you can do it do, do the experiment you, you can realize afterwards that this was not done correctly or the numbers are wrong or the interpretation is wrong. But as long as you are not frightened to say I was wrong, then science is in, is in, is in good shape. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
you have been in a position of leading a funding agency, MRC, of leading research centers, of leading labs, now of leading EMBO. So you, you have seen science at its very highest level. Uh, and you have worked with people at the very highest levels of science who are, who are the decision makers often, whether it comes to funding or policy or strategies for direction of research and, and training and all of those things. Do you think that science and the scientific endeavor is served well by its leaders? I... <laughs> so you can't do science without money, right? And I think it is for governments to decide how much money they should spend on science. I, I have no trouble with that being a political decision because in some countries it's the needs of their community are so great that it wouldn't make sense to put a lot of money into science. But if we're talking about the UK, Germany, for example, I think the case that good science is good for the population at large. I feel ideally that the decisions about how the money should be spent should, as far as possible, be made by science leaders, not by politicians. I think there is a real trust issue here. And I saw it in MRC that um, I think scientists have a good reputation academics often don't because any discussion you know um, with government will quickly flip to you should give more money to my type of science and particularly to my university and i don't think that that is very high quality advice it's that is more like lobbying and so actually one of the things that um, i'm planning at embo is to convene a small group of people who I believe have done it well in different countries, who are trusted advisors to, 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 so, so that we can be better advising governments. So I think we really have to try to understand how is all of this going to work and how can we uh, ensure that we can um, that the creativity and independence of scientists flourish, but yet ultimately, um, at some point, there is a tangible benefit for, for society. Okay, so um, we've already touched on this a little bit when we talked about your career and, and how you, you took on more and more leadership positions and, and I guess more leadership positions with more responsibility as you move through your career. But obviously that starts when you're when you're an early career researcher and you said yourself sometimes you can be a leader without having a giant group of people to be to be leading. Um, so do you think it is important for early career researchers to think about leadership? And if so, where would you advise them that they develop leadership skills and, and why and, and how? So one thing I'd like to correct you on is that you, you talked about me taking more and more leadership roles. Um, however, um, at different points, I've stopped doing things because um, you know I have three kids. Um, I don't have unlimited time and I care about my own research. So I think um, it's not easy 
But if you're going to say yes to something new, you also have to stop doing something else. Um, and that can be quite, it's quite sometimes quite scary, but it's also really refreshing. But to go back to your question, I, I would actually start right at the beginning with PhD students. And I think a PhD student, so not perceived to be a leader, you could take leadership responsibility in a particular project. It might be a science art collaboration. I would say be curious, explore lots of different opportunities. Science is not a race, so it's not a race to see who gets their PhD first. And just using that time, speaking to people is, is very good. I'm curious to know, why did you take on the job of being the director of EMBO? <laughs> um, I had, uh, so I moved to King's 10 years ago to set up um, the research centre there. Um, I was completely taken by surprise when I was appointed as executive chair of the MIC. That was in 2018. Um, and that was a four year term, so ending in 2022. And I knew that I wanted, that I, I didn't want to keep doing that um, because as my next set of experiments in the lab, um, I creating a company which will provide a vehicle to do some um, safety studies in humans. So that wouldn't be compatible with the MIC. Um, but then when it comes to what job would you like? There's so many jobs that I absolutely would not do or I'd done already. And so when EMBO came calling, I mean, what's not to like? It's international, it's focused on young scientists. It's about sharing data, whether publishing or open science initiatives. Um, and to be back in a world-class research institute in EMBL was just fantastic. And I, that's, I just love that, actually. It's such a privilege to be able to do that. You are in a rather unique position to be, you know, the, the director of EMBO. Uh, what, what does that mean? What do you do? What is your day-to-day? -day? Well, one thing is that the director of EMBO must be acti an active scientist. Um, so um, part of my working week is spent doing science. I've just established a new lab at EMBL Heidelberg. Um, and then uh, other otherwise, um, I started in January, so I would say I've spent a lot of time trying to um, find out more about what, what we're doing. Uh, it's, a, it's a really nice organization. Um, but we're constantly um, looking at each of the tasks that um, we're responsible for and making sure that we're doing them as well as we possibly can. To give you a couple of specific examples, obviously for the last two years, the courses and workshops have not been meeting physically in person. So we put a lot of effort into trying to support um, meeting organizers who want to run hybrid workshops. Um, the effect on our postdoctoral fellowships has been, you know, ha has been 
um, felt as well. And we've been able to use um, money to uh, provide um, extensions, small extensions to the postdocs. So we've been really trying to look at, at how, how we're working and um, do the best that we can to support our scientists. Of course, just as the COVID cases were starting to stabilize, then there was the um, Russian invasion of Ukraine. And so we moved quite quickly to um, establish a list where um, scientists anywhere in the world could offer support for uh, scientists who are displaced from Ukraine. So, so that has been um, a, an important effort as well. As a leader of, of such a big organization, how are the strategy decisions made? I see this role as it's really a responsibility to do what is best for the life science community. But on the other hand, part of that responsibility is taking a look and saying, are we doing this as well as we can? Are there things that we did 10 years ago which aren't so important now? To give you a, a very concrete example, we publish a number of journals and we have to consider a future in which all of our journals, not just the subset, are open access. So I, I see it very much as the leadership role is it's leading by consensus, but sometimes making connections and suggestions which will help move us forward. We consult a lot, all of the time. All of the staff at EMBO are reaching out, asking for advice, debating. But that doesn't mean we just sort of tally the votes and say, oh, we'll do that. It does require an element of direction. And of course, each director comes with a different background and, and may have different priorities. Hello, me again. Just a quick note to say thank you to Fiona Watt for taking the time to speak to me for this episode as part of the leadership series on Working Scientist. And thanks, of course, also goes to you for listening. Every single listen means a lot to our team here at Nature Careers as we strive to share stories and advice that will ultimately help you navigate your career as a working scientist. So if you found this episode or any of our other episodes useful, interesting or just enjoyable, then please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. But also take the opportunity to let us know what you would like to hear on this show. This podcast is ultimately created for you, so we would like to know what you would like to know. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. I'm Julie Gould. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.